This story in Jesus' life is the real Superman. Come on. He's the real Superman. In fact, I want to encourage you. Uh, sometime, don't do it right now because that would like, really hurt my feelings. But um, sometime Google um, the true story behind Superman. And it's quite fascinating. Um, it's, it preaches the gospel by itself. But the real life Superman is Jesus. Jesus' enemies discover that he cares deeply for people and they see it as a weakness to exploit. Isn't that exactly the way the kingdom of hell is? That takes the compassion that someone might have and exploits it. Takes the innocence that a child has and exploits it. Takes the trust that one person has for another and finds a way to create personal gain that causes injury and humility. Humiliation is what I mean to say. The religious leaders hated and feared Jesus, and they're plotting a strategy to have him killed. And they have discovered that Jesus cares deeply for people who are caught in the middle of life's sorrows and pains. And they hope to be able to use this knowledge against him. These men see that Jesus wants to help hurting people in the society around him, and they, they begin to think, okay, he likes helping people. We want to kill him. How can we connect the dots between him wanting to help people and us wanting to kill him? Let's find a human being that we can use as a pawn. And let's set up a scenario. Like Superman, Jesus' enemies see his caring and compassion as a pitiful weakness to be exploited for their agenda. And the next slide that I've got for you here is the image of someone being stoned to death. And it's the boycott. Yeah, you'll have to find the, uh, the right one. It's the image of being stoned. If you were surrounded, I want you to put yourself in this person's shoes and by the way, it's, this is a modern-day stoning. This woman is boycotting. If you were close enough to see uh, her billboard, it's showing that she's boycotting um, stonings that are being publicized on television. The tragedy is with um, the mass media that we have now, you would actually be able to go view a public stoning and see it take place, which I don't recommend you doing. Put yourself... In this spot, if you were surrounded by a crowd of angry people who were determined to kill you. So just think about you being in that spot right now. They're determined to kill you. And these people have heavy, jagged, sharp, very hard weapons in their hands. And today the weapon of choice is rocks. Now I want you to flip the switch for a second and I want you to think about maybe some people in your life that you might think deserve to be stoned. What rocks would you pick if you were going to kill somebody? Would you pick smooth lightweight rocks or would you pick some that 
like these that have some very rough edges and some very sharp points. These are made to do damage. Now put yourself back in the position of being the person that someone wants to stone and imagine you facing a already fever pitch crowd because you know how crowds can get. There might start out as a few sane people that have logic and common sense and you get it worked up into a frenzy and now it has no common sense. And no one feels personally responsible. If you're in that spot, which direction are the rocks coming from as they come at you? How do you stand to protect yourself? Do you move around? Do you, do you try to find that right angle? Do you try to pick out the people in the crowd that you think might have the most dangerous capacity to do you harm? Do you put your hands up to protect your face mostly? Or do you put your hands in the back of your head as you move around so that you don't know what's coming behind you, but you could at least move on based on what you see in front of you? These are real questions. Do you protect your face first? Do you protect your privates? The back of your head? Do you kneel so you can make yourself a smaller target? How many blows do you take on your fingers and your arms before they finally begin to sag? And how many blows before your wrists and your knees and your elbows begin to break? What about the crowd? Do they close in more as you begin to slump down? And do they pick up even bigger rocks as they see you become more and more immobile and unable to protect your head? You see, this story is about throwing rocks at people. It's about Jesus stepping in the middle of a story where people are hurting each other with rocks. There's a slide that covers that, if you would, and it shows a rock bed. It's about throwing rocks at people. This story is about people that are qualified to throw rocks and about people that are not qualified to throw rocks. Who is? Which then leads us to asking the question, what is this Jesus that you and I talk about to others all about? What's he about? Is it just about coming to public gatherings? Is it about owning a Bible? Is it about being a part of a small group? Or is it something way more personal than all of those things? Those things are important and they're good. But it has to be about Jesus' story and your story being in constant intersection. Constant, fresh stories of what Jesus is doing in your life and how your life is being impacted by His story. That's what you and I have that's the most powerful to give away. In the chapter following this chapter, we see a man who was born blind, and after Jesus heals him, he begins to respond to Jesus, and all of the religious experts come to him and expect him to be able to explain God now. 
And he said, I can't. I can't explain God. All I know is my story. I used to be blind, and now I can see, and it's because of Jesus. What is this Jesus all about? Jesus' vulnerable spot in his armor was his love and compassion for broken people who needed and wanted his help. Jesus says at least four very important things to us in this story. There's a number of things that we could focus on, but I'm just going to focus on four this morning. First of all, Jesus says this, whoever has never sinned is qualified to throw rocks at those who have. Second thing Jesus says is I have decided not to throw rocks at anyone. Thirdly, he says, I've decided not to reject or condemn you, even though you're guilty. See, the story you just read, it says this woman was caught in the very act of, not allegedly, she was caught in the act of. What things are you and I truly guilty of? Some things we may have paid the crime, other things we may not have. But the things that you and I know we have done or not done, either sins of commission or sins of omission, and we're guilty. And the fourth thing Jesus says here very clearly is stop living a lifestyle that will destroy your soul. You see, Jesus was way more interested than what was going to happen to this woman's life than he was on what was going to happen to her body. Jesus wanted to see this turn into a life-defining moment for this woman rather than the worst day of her life. How many of you right here this morning where you have faced something horrific and the enemy wants it to be the worst day of your life? He wants that negative thing to define you. And instead, Jesus wants it to be life-defining. For this woman... This was turned out and started out at this point to be by far the worst day of her life. She was about to lose her life publicly by one of the worst forms of death possible. Having a crowd of angry grown men hurling rocks like this at your head and your legs. All so that they could use you as a pawn. How many times in life have you felt like the enemy was just trying to use you as a pawn to do your family damage or do the kingdom of God damage? Jesus rejects two things and he accepts one here. First of all, Jesus rejects arrogance. He makes it clear. Makes it clear. Okay, you're qualified to throw rocks on one condition. You've never sinned in your entire life. End of the conversation. And Jesus still rejects arrogance in us. The word says that he hears the prayers of those who are humble and seek his face. And he rejects the pride, rejects the arrogance in us. When we're doing the best with Jesus is when we're the most grateful. Think about it. When you're the closest to the Lord is when you are the most grateful for the things that he has already done in your life. And we start getting in a little bit of trouble inside 
that area between our left and right ear, when we start to grumble about what we don't have instead of being grateful to Jesus about what he's already done. And here, Jesus also rejects a lifestyle that contradicts his instructions. I'm going through a school right now that is training me to become a professional life coach. And so I want you to think for a second about a coach. If you're going to go to a trainer who is going to help you get into incredible shape for you to run a marathon or go do something you've always wanted to do, and you hired them to get you in shape, if three to six months later you're still badly out of shape, you should fire that one, right? Because even though they're going to tell you things you really don't want to hear and that your body doesn't want to deal with, you need to hear what that coach is telling you because they're going to help you make the changes that are healthy for you, correct? <coughs> Jesus rescued this woman's body at that moment, but he was more concerned about her soul. And Jesus is going to tell you and I the same kind of things. We want the easy route, but it's not the best route. And the last thing here, Jesus accepts individuals who need and want his help. How many of you qualify? If you're a person here who needs and wants Jesus' help. The scripture says that she was caught in the very act of adultery. And I've got a slide here of a woman that is being bound. In this case, it appears that they decided to just make it easier for themselves and just bind the person's hands so you can imagine what that would be like. Scripture says she was caught in the act, being somewhere she shouldn't be, doing something she shouldn't do, in this case, sex outside of marriage. And I want you to know, folks, this story is in here in the Gospels for a reason. Sex outside of marriage will get your, your soul stoned. It's not the Lord's blessing. He won't bless it. He might rescue you in the middle of the situation, but he wants your soul whole. He wants your soul healthy. And he's going to say to you, stop it. This is hurting you. And remember again, this is Jesus, full of compassion. So it wasn't that he had compassion when he rescued her body, and now he's scolding her about her soul. His compassion was compassion on both sides of the coin. First, compassion to rescue her body, and then even more compassion to rescue her soul. How did these guys catch her in the first place? And then when they did, I doubt that they were very concerned about giving her time to get dressed. Because after all, they weren't worried about this woman's dignity. They were about to kill her. So they grab her in the middle of adultery, probably giving her no time to even put a garment on. And they shove her, yelling at her, exposing her, staring at her body, shoving her ahead of them as they rush her down the street. People coming out to see what the ruckus is all about and pointing and staring and judging. And these men, as I said, had no interest in her dignity whatsoever. She was simply a pawn in their cruel and twisted game of shame and death. Imagine as these grown men shoved this lone woman down the street, falling down, skinning her hands and knees, while these men made her feel worthless and filthy. 
And as she rounds the corner of the street, and they take her and shove her on the ground at the feet of Jesus. What was she thinking he was thinking at that moment? Had she ever met him before? Had she ever been a part of one of the crowds where she saw Jesus heal someone? Had she been a part of the feeding when he fed thousands in one meal with just a couple of trout and a couple of biscuits? Embarrassed, humiliated, terrified beyond words, maybe crying, probably bleeding, and physically exposed. You ever felt like that in life? Terrified at what her enemies intended to do to her. And all of this is happening downtown in front of an ever-growing crowd. So whatever town you live in, picture this being downtown, and someone has stripped you of your physical covering, they're doing everything they can to strip you of all dignity, and they're shoving you and pushing you and yelling at you and calling you names and spitting on you, and the last result is they're throwing you on the ground, ready to stone you. I want you to know this, folks, and this is where our encouragement comes from in our Lord. Some of us end up at the feet of Jesus for some pretty tragic reasons. You may have ended up at the feet of Jesus over a divorce. Lori and I have a spiritual daughter that she ended up at the feet of Jesus the day that her meth addict boyfriend beat her six-month-old daughter nearly to death, and her daughter had to be medevaced. That was the day she got off meth. That was the day she got clean. And that was the day that she started listening. She now is happily married. That daughter she has full custody of. She eventually became our administrative assistant and then later our teen pastor of our church. What Jesus can do. Man, what Jesus can do. But she started like this. We might end up at the feet of Jesus for some pretty horrific reasons. But I'm going to say this to you. Whatever the reason that you end up at the feet of Jesus, just know this. Stay there. Stay there. Turn to somebody and say, stay at the feet of Jesus. It's the best place that you and I can find ourselves. Now this woman finds out that they intend to beat her to death, not with fists or feet, but with rocks. And she's going to be stoned downtown in front of everybody. I want to tell you briefly my story. After I finished Bible college, and I had my parents so proud of me, excited for me. The church that I came from, excited for me. I was the local boy done good, and my whole church was so excited for me that one of the brothers in the church actually gave me a nearly brand new motorcycle for me to move to Tucson and go to Bible College, and they were so excited to see what God was going to do and use Kenny to do. Prophecies left and right about all God was going to do with me. Then, my dad gets called by a friend of his and says, Hey, 
we just started a Christian school and we want to start athletics. And I want to hire Kenny to come over and become the coach of all of our sports and the athletic director. And he gets to pick the sports. We have an incredible campus and facility. He gets carte blanche. He can come over and pick what sports we're going to play. Uh, we don't even know who to play. He's going to have to organize all of that. Can I borrow your son? My dad says yes. I'm a kid in a candy store now. I'm, I'm 21 years of age, just because, uh, like I said, I graduated high school at 17. And I moved to this town in Arizona, and we started an athletic program. Two years later, we have um, got seven of our boys in the track finals at North Texas State University in Denton, Texas, qualifying for finals, and our girls' volleyball team. And that season ended in May, and in August, when school starts back up, I'm in the church kitchen, cleaning up, washing dishes, and my boss's wife, the principal's wife, the daughter-in-law of our pastor, is washing dishes with me in the kitchen, and she had been talking to me about their marriage problems for a while. And I wasn't smart enough to realize that was taboo. A young single man talking to a married woman about her marriage problems, and she was giving me all the sordid details. And I was too stupid to know the difference. And while we're washing dishes that day in the kitchen, she says to me, I'm married to, and she named her husband, but I wish I was married to you. And the enemy, he sunk the hook. I swallowed it, and for the next 30 days, I had an affair with my boss's wife, the pastor's daughter-in-law. After 30 days, I didn't do what Joseph did initially, but I did what he did eventually. I had to call my pastor up and tell him that I was having an affair with his daughter-in-law, with his son's wife. I had already packed up all of my things, my parents were on their way over to help me get back to New Mexico. And of course, I, was let, I had let everybody down. I had let this school down. I had let this church down. All of the at-risk teenagers that we had reached in that community that were now part of our school and part of our sports program all ended up going back out into the world and getting into more trouble than they had before because their leader fell. And I still today am personally responsible for that. See, folks, I am this woman. I was caught in the very act. And I was guilty. I moved and became suicidal. I moved to Phoenix, Arizona, and spent the next two years getting into everything that I possibly could to get into all the kind of trouble that I could. Because I believed that I deserved to die. And so I was stoning myself. Can you relate to that? Sometimes the person that wants to stone you the most is you because you believe you deserve to be stoned. And she's thrown at the feet of Jesus and wisely she stays there. <clears throat> Can you imagine what that was like at that moment when after Jesus says what he says, that if you've never sinned, you're qualified to throw them. Imagine what that was like when this woman began to hear the drops
Imagine what it sounded like in heaven. One at a time, they began to drop their rocks because they realized they weren't qualified to throw them. You see, Jesus, if you go to the slide that says Jesus is the God who doesn't throw rocks, not at us, not at you, not the guilty who need and want his help, and not if you stay at his feet. The only person there that was qualified to throw rocks was Jesus, and he wasn't throwing any. The only person that is qualified to throw rocks at you is Jesus, and he's not throwing any. By the same token, you and I are not qualified to throw them at someone else. There's such an important double-sided message there for both of us. <coughs> to be forgiven and to forgive are all in this story. Jesus was qualified to throw these rocks and he wouldn't do it. You see, my pastor came and found me, and when he came to find me at my parents' request while I was living in Phoenix, here's what he told me. He came and he found me two years into this, and he said, Kenny, you're grieving too long over past sin, and I know that you're trying to kill yourself. And he said, do you believe that Jesus went to the cross as a waste of time, and I said, of course not, Pastor. Of course I don't believe that. That's the reason I'm running from him, because I feel like I don't deserve his grace anymore. I, I'm a Bible college graduate. I let so many people down. That's why I'm hiding and running, because I don't believe I deserve his grace. And here's what my pastor told me. He said, you're looking Jesus in the eye, and you're telling him that his blood is not enough. You're telling him, Jesus, good try. I know you went to the cross. I know you suffered so much. I know you became sin on the cross. But your cross didn't take into account my sin. Because my sin is more powerful than your blood. He said, you might as well look Jesus in the eye and spit in his face and say, good try, but not enough. And I broke and I wept and I said, no, pastor, that's not at all what I think or how I feel. And he said, then the person that you've got to drop the rocks from is you. Tracy, would you come up? And we've got a great song that we want to focus on this morning called Brokenness Aside. I want you to think about the people in your lives that you might be holding rocks against. Are you qualified to throw them? And I also want you to think about whether or not you're holding rocks against you. And I want to tell you right now, you're not qualified to throw rocks at you. It's the most ridiculous oxymoron of all. And I also want you to know that if you are a person who has felt like my sin is so great that I didn't come to Jesus for the right reasons. I don't deserve His grace. I want to tell you, stay at His feet. doesn't matter why you ended up there. Stay at His feet. If this message is ministering you this morning 
and there's something that you want to see broken free, I want to invite you to come up here and just stand because your Savior knows what it is. He knows your story. He's right in the middle of it right now. We're all candidates of being a rock thrower, either it's someone else or ourselves or both. But Lord, we know one thing for sure. We are all guilty of something. As Tracy said, if it's not one thing, it's another. And we stay at your feet this morning, Jesus. I want to speak this morning. There's just have a sense that there's somebody here, maybe even more than one, that that's part of the battle that you've been in is, is staying at the feet of Jesus. That sometimes the consternation going on inside of your soul for one thing or another has made that staying at the feet of Jesus somehow get complicated. This morning, the Lord is telling you that He's never felt differently about you. He's never left you. And He's not throwing rocks at you today any more than He ever has before. And there's not going to come a day where He's going to throw rocks at you. He simply wants you to respond to Him and stay at His feet. And let the ultimate coach give you the instructions that you need to have your soul be whole. He is never going to change His mind. Even our four square scripture that we go by is Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not going to throw rocks at you. Receive His forgiveness. Receive His grace. And drop the rocks that you're holding against someone else or yourself. And let it go today. Let the wholeness of Christ overwhelm you. Folks, you heard my story. What happened in me is once I finally went over to the pulpit again, for the rest of my life, I never went to a pulpit again for the same reason. Now I know I'm never qualified to speak on his behalf. I'm talking about him because I can't stop. He's just too good. He's too forgiving. So I can't stop talking about him. It's not because I'm qualified. Jesus, cleanse us this morning. Free us from the stonings, either giving or receiving them, because your Holy Spirit is not stoning us. He is cleansing us and redeeming us and changing us. It's even why Abundant Life Foursquare Church is doing things for the community, because what you're saying is Jesus doesn't want to stone you. You're saying to the community, Jesus loves you. He's for you. He doesn't want to stone you. He wants you to stay at his feet so he can free you. Lord God, send this great church body out this week with the power of their story to give away everything that you have. Yes.